Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This 24-part series on interpreting the book of Revelation was given at Tungling Bible College in Singapore back in 2002. Be sure to get a copy of the textbook by the same title, available from Amazon in your region in paperback and ebook formats, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Okay, now uh, in this session, uh, before we take a longer break, I want you to turn to page six now in your outline that we've got. How many really felt you got something out of our first session? Yes. Nobody's asking for a refund or anything like that? <laughs> wow. All right, now in, uh, in page six and seven, we're going to just try and do a, a brief overview of the opening of the seals. So if, I, I know we're, we're covering a lot of material here, but you can sort of keep, uh, you know, chapter by chapter in mind. So chapter one, uh, of Revelation is the, the, the vision of Christ as our glorified high priest. Everybody comfortable with that? That's the picture we've got there, chapter one. Respond? Yes. 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 And then chapter two and three, that's Christ ministering to the seven local churches, the golden lampstand, like in the tabernacle of Moses. Is everybody comfortable with that? Yes. So if you can just get hold of the uh, ignition key to those chapters. And chapter four is the vision of the throne and the uh, worship scene that we have that we've been looking at. And chapter five is the picture of the book. And uh, those pictures I've given you, I've just given you three, uh, all of them are fulfilled in the book in Revelation chapter five. Because uh, anything that happened on earth was just the shadow in earth of what is in heaven. So the tabernacle of Moses was not the complete picture. And had a, it was a portion of the truth. Tabernacle of Moses was not the complete, uh, David was not the complete picture. It was a portion of the truth. Temple of Solomon, that was not the complete truth. It was a portion. So, you know, God couldn't give the truth to mankind all at once. We can't handle it. Line upon line, lecture after lecture, lecture after this morning and tonight, the next Sunday and for the next, the rest of your life. You know, just line upon, that's all we can handle. So God gave, but in heaven, he's got the whole lot. He doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He's the truth. He's the embodiment of everything. So we're just picking up the fragments here. All right, now in chapter 6, um, so on your notes there, your outline, uh, page 6 and 7, we're going to touch on. Uh, just by way of introduction, uh, we didn't uh, refer uh, too much to this, but um, I did think I mentioned that the Lamb is mentioned, I think, 28 times in Revelation. Did you get that in your notes? So the Lamb... And uh, the Lamb freshly slain, I think I mentioned that, but the, the atonement uh, of Christ is eternally fresh. And uh, once you put down number one, two, three, four, at the top there, just a, a little outline that uh, you might be able to use. Uh, number one, in Exodus 12, we have a Lamb for the house. So number one, Exodus 12, you can put that anywhere you like. Anyway, a Lamb for the house. Take a Lamb for the house. And then at, uh, uh, number two, in Leviticus 23, we have the lamb for the nation. So Exodus 12, the lamb for the house. Uh, Leviticus 23, a lamb for a nation. In that case, the nation of Israel. And then number three, John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, a lamb for the world. So number one, a lamb for a house. Number two, a lamb for a nation. Number three, a lamb for the world. And then number four, 
And this is the highest. Genesis tw uh, chapter 22, where Isaac, uh, 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 Father Abraham said to uh, only begotten son Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. There's the lamb for God. So number one, lamb for a house. Number two, lamb for a nation. Number three, lamb for the world. And number four, the lamb for God. Because Jesus Christ is for God. God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, now what I want to look at in this uh, session here is a little bit on the uh, six seals, a uh, little bit of picture that we have here. So this is the outline that you've got in your, in your notes. We'll just touch on high spots again. Now number one, in chapter six, verse one and two, we have the opening of the seven seal book. And as I said, that book is sort of the embodiment of everything that's gone before. It's the book in the throne of the king. It's the book in the ark of the covenant of God, the glory of God. It's the, the book of redemption. Now, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. He's the one that's entitled to break the seals of the book because ultimately he's going to retake possession of this lost earth or this lost in heaven. So all that we lost in Adam is restored in Jesus Christ. So that's uh, all part of the process. All right, so the first seal has to do with a white horse. Uh, number two, the second seal, a red horse. Number three, uh, third seal, a black horse. Number four, uh, a pale horse. Number five, we have the fifth seal, souls under the altar. Uh, six seal, signs of the sun, moon, stars. And then we have two uh, parenthetical visions between the opening of the sixth seal and the seventh seal. So we have the vision of the ceiling of the 144,000 and then the vision of the great tribulation multitude and then when we get to chapter 8 uh, the seventh seal is open we have psalms in heaven and we're introduced to the golden sense of the golden altar of incense so you start to get the picture there's our direction we're headed for the golden altar of incense but between uh, the, the golden lampstand and the uh, the ark of the covenant throne of god and between the altar of incense we've got the opening of these seals all right, now, just a few introductory uh, remarks here. Uh, with all the uh, expositions I've read on Revelation, there's not too much difference uh, concerning the uh, second, third, and fourth horse or the rest of the seals. Not too much difference on that. The, the controversial one is the white horse. So we want to spend a little bit more time on that. Now, I'd like you to uh, turn over to Matthew chapter... 24 here, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. <coughs> and in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is... Uh, uh, just left the temple, and uh, in verse 3 we pick up. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, uh, Tell us when shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be uh, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in uh, divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, then they will deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you and be hated. You'll be hated of all men, for my, uh, nations for my name's sake. And uh, then they, uh, they, uh, yes, and, and then many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. All right, now, when it comes to the opening of the seals here, I'd like you to make a note of this. Uh, they, they are opened at a point of time, but they stay open for a period of time. Later on, I'm going to give you sort of, uh, you know, what, what I would understand, the sort of over, overall chart um, that you can look at. So here we have the lamb breaking the seals of the book. And so he opens seal one. And so there is a point of time, if, if you can sort of handle this, uh, it, uh, I, I believe it should help. So a point of time, and then they stay open for a period of time. So in other words, once the first seal is open at a point of time, somewhere in history, then it stays open for a period of time right through, uh, this is how I understand it, right through the second coming of Christ, which is chapter 19. So point of time, period of time. Once the second seal is opened, and later on I'll give you a diagram of this that I hope will be helpful. It opens at a point of time and stays open through a period of time and so forth, right through, right through to the end of the age. So point of time, period of time. That's the, that's the thing. So we want to look at the first four uh, seals here and they have to do with horses. Now, in the passage I read in Matthew chapter 24, and maybe uh, uh, before we get into the series a little bit more fully, take this, I adapted it from uh, Larkin's book here, uh, just illustrating here. If you correspond Mark chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 24, this is the picture that we have. Just, just to sort of get the uh, overview picture here. There's the gist of it. Alright, so Mark chapter 13, Matthew 24, uh, as I've studied them uh, in the Synoptic Gospel, but also Luke chapter 21, Jesus actually sort of gives a panoramic view of the book of Revelation. So though, as we saw in our first session, Jesus didn't have all the details of his second coming, yet he did prophesy of his second coming. And so when you correspond Mark 13 and Matthew 24 with Revelation chapter 6, particularly the first six seals, you see this order. So if you want to take this down before we get into interpretation, at least following this. So uh, the seventh seal book here, so first horse, or the first seal that is open is a white horse with a rider. Now, I'll just say this briefly and then I'll give you a reason for it in a moment. Uh, I believe that this white horse represents the going forth of the gospel of the kingdom. And if you look at Mark 13, which we won't take time on now, Mark 13, verse 10, Jesus said, and this gospel must first be published 
to all the nations. Uh, Matthew puts it this way, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Because the disciples have been asked, tell us when shall these things be, when shall the end be? And so Jesus gives a very clear sign of the time of the end. He said the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. So I, I say, along with a lot of writers, the going forth of the white horse is the going forth of the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm always learning. So I believe that this actually began way back in the book of Acts and has just continued right through church history and is intensifying. There's still about, uh, I think, 1,500 tongues that have never heard the name of Jesus yet and haven't got one verse of scripture in their language. And uh, so out of every kindred tongue, tribe, and nation, uh, the land seems to be deemed. So going forward, so a point of time from the Gospels, through the Book of Acts, through church history, some more, some less, but here, uh, through every kindred tongue, tribe, and nation. So the white horse, we'll come back to that in a moment. All right, the red horse, uh, no questions over this, uh, basically. Most, all the expository, uh, interpret the color you interpret the symbolism of the horse. Red, color of bloodshed and war. So Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. Mark confirms the same. So going forth of the red horse, and the red horse was given a sword. The white horse had a bow and arrow. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But the red horse, the rider is given a sword, and he's to take peace from the earth. And, and you see, if we had time to develop this, I mean, you know, to do this thing properly, you'd sort of need a whole hour on each of these. But see, once it happened, so I would include is this all war. So from AD 70, where there was a measure of fulfillment of, uh, of uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And so it includes right down to our time, World War I, World War II. I mean, the world is at war now on the whole terrorist activity, and it's going to get worse and worse. And, and it includes all war. So it opens at a point of time and includes a period of time. And, and, and the war to end all wars is when Jesus comes a second time uh, and is called the Battle of Armageddon. And when that comes, when Armageddon comes, Armageddon out of it. How many comes in? <laughs> Some of you still didn't get that. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, Armageddon out of it. So, how many can see once the seal is opened at a point of time, it includes the rider goes forth and includes himself all wars. And, uh, I mean, there's no peace in a lot of nations today. We know what's going on in different nations here, but it consummates here. Uh, Revelation 12 is war in heaven when Satan is cast out. Revelation 19, Jesus comes as King of Kings. And you'll notice, as I said, point of time, consummates here. White horse, Revelation 19, Jesus coming on a white horse. We're going to come back in a moment. All right, number three, the third seal, as we see it open, is a black horse. And uh, the scripture is like in Lamentation somewhere. It says, our skin was made black because of the terrible famine. So Mark 13, 8, Matthew 24, 7, black horse famine. And you interpret the horse by the color. And so the black horse, what's happened? The rider is given a pair of scales. So he, uh, he measures out the food. And it's, it's hard for us to believe you know, that two-thirds of the world is on starvation rations today. And uh, I say some of these things because I have friends say in the... Uh, in the Schofield School, so well, none of the seals have been opened, 
and, and they do that because they say, well, the seals are going to be open in a period of seven years, seven years tribulation, and so because uh, the secret rapture is built on seven years, uh, then they say, well, none of the seals uh, are open. Well, I say, well, what's going on in the world today? And so, as we'll see later on, uh, the secret rapture is built on the seven years. But see, if you can't, I mean, as I said yesterday, you know, Revelation is a book of seven, 57 sevens. The only seven that's not there is seven years. And so, if you take away the seven years, what does it do? It ruptures the rapture. <laughs> Their rapture. No, I believe in a rapture, but not a sneaky one, okay? I want to go out victoriously, don't you? Amen? And we snuck out, and, and please take this kindly. For some people, not, not here, everybody else, for some people, the rapture is a, a little fire escape. It's like saying, Jesus, come and get me out of it, let the world go to hell. It's a very selfish thing. I don't want Jesus to come back until the last soul is going to be saved, it's going to be saved. Thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. We're right behind you. With a knife. Okay. All right. So, so that whole theory is built on that. All right. So, so we've got to realize that this black horse has been riding in the measure of fulfillment in 1870, but just continues right through to the end of the age. And it's going to increase. When you get to the tribulation, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast and all that type of thing. So, you know, so just increasing point of time, period of time. Then the fourth horse, Jesus said, uh, uh, troubles and pestilences and plagues. And we think of the plagues, plagues today. And, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the uh, politicians are fearful to tell us just the statistics in America and Australia and New Zealand and other nations on the whole of the AIDS and the uh, whole homosexual deal. How many millions of people suffering from HIV and everything, and even innocent kids are born with the thing because of their parents' uh, sins. So it includes all those troubles, pestilence, and plagues that are increasing, and everything's a virus today. Even your computer has a virus. <laughs> I try to cast them out. I think my virus married another virus and had a lot of other baby viruses. And uh, I've just got on an email that I haven't got a clue about. I've sent some emails to Mars and to Jupiter. Uh, uh, some of the emails I sent overseas actually came back to me. They just, you know, terrifies the living daylights out of me. Uh, and then uh, the fifth seal of persecution uh, and apostasy sold under the altar. Alright, so that's the picture that we have now. Uh, so once the seals open at a point of time, they stay open for a period of time. Now, I'd like to go back to the white horse just a little bit. We'll, uh, that was just sort of a, a brief run over here. The, the color white is used, I, what, what I did, you sort of get to know my fixations here. The color white is used about uh, 95 times, I think, in the whole book. Uh, the whole, uh, sorry, 75 times. So, color white is used 75 times or more in the total Bible. Now, it's the white horse that there is the most controversy about. Now, what I found out, and I, I, I used to teach the white horse was Antichrist. See, so, basically, it falls into two views. That uh, one school, the Schofield uh, Ultra Dispensationalists, say the white horse is the Antichrist, and it's the going forth of the false Christ uh, conquering and to conquer. 
And I say, well, what about the white horse in Revelation 19? Well, they say, the white horse in Revelation 6 is the Antichrist, and white horse in Revelation 19 is the Christ. So this is counterfeit. Now, I had great anointings on that till I found I was wrong. <laughs> so what drove me to this, after listening to some other uh, preachers and teachers, I went through Strauss and Cordons, and I'd like you to make a note of this, uh, depending what uh, screw you're in here. And I went through every reference to the word white in the total Bible, and particularly the New Testament. And uh, I'll say it first and give you time to take it down. The color white is ever only used of God, of Christ, of the angels, of the saints. So let me say that. So the color white, every, every reference without fail is used only of God, of Christ, of the angels and of saints. It is never, never once used of the baddies. <laughs> never used of the devil, never used of demons, but always used of God, of Christ, of the angels, and of the saints. And just in Revelation alone, and you see, uh, you know, I tell people, look, if I'm wrong, at least I'm consistently wrong. <laughs> but if I'm right, I'm consistently wrong. So what I did, put down just some of these references, and uh, just make a note of it for yourself. Uh, I went through just the color white in Revelation. So just put down one, two, three, four, five, six. I'll just give you a few references here. Just in Revelation alone. Revelation 1.14. His head and hairs were white like wool, white as snow. White like wool, white as snow. Number two, Revelation 2.17. The overcomer is promised a white stone. A white stone, not a black stone, a white stone. Number three, you can just put down the references. Revelation chapter three and verse four. The overcomer will walk with him in white. So Revelation chapter three, verse four. Number four, <coughs> Revelation three and verse five. The overcomer will be clothed in white raiment. White raiment. Number five, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. The Laodicea believer is exhorted to buy white raiment. And that was in contrast to the black raiment that they had in the city. White raiment. Number six, the 24 elders are clothed in white raiment. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. So, altogether there are at least uh, 17, uh, 19 references to white in Revelation. Maybe just make a note of this because this is the most controversial uh, area here. So, uh, 19 references to the color white in Revelation. And every one of them refers to God or Christ or the angels, or the saints. So I say to people now, having changed my mind on this, on what authority do you say the white horse is Antichrist? When you have all these other references in the total Bible always referring to white, and see white is the color of purity, holiness, and righteousness. So white, you interpret the horse by the color. So the red horse, color of bloodshed. Black horse, color of death. Pale horse, leprosy. Leprous color, some of the translations say. Color of a disease, death. So white is always the color of righteousness, 
and um, purity. All right, now on the white horse, so, so that's what you have to sort out. Whatever you believe, those who say it's the Antichrist and say, well, you're basing it on one scripture. And also the white horse, the rider goes forth conquering and to conquer. And in the Greek thing, it's the ultimate victory. It's total and absolute victory. Well, no Antichrist is going to get the total victory. Jesus Christ is. Now you say, okay, Kim, what about the rider on the white horse who's got a bow and an arrow? I can only quote some of the scriptures here. Put down Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. In Habakkuk chapter 3, we're told how the Lord sent forth his chariots and horses of salvation and that he made his bow, B-O-W, quite naked, even his word. And the word of God is likened to a bow. Then David and Job, they use scriptures like this. Your arrows stick fast in me. So the arrows of the Almighty, the arrows of conviction. And see, the reason I can say these things is because I've done through the Bible on bow. I've done through the Bible on arrows. And how God uses the bow and arrow. So the bow of the word and the arrow of conviction as the gospel goes forth into the hearts of people. And David said, your arrows stick fast in me. And this was when he was convicted of his sin with Bathsheba. So, so Jesus, or the gospel of the kingdom, the going forth of the white horse, the gospel of the kingdom, the bow, the word of God, arrows of conviction, that's the picture. But it consummates in Jesus Christ coming the second time on a white horse and the riders with him. That's the picture. So to say it's the Antichrist, then you've got to really prove that. Alright, so that's that's why, as I said, I used to believe it was the Antichrist many years ago, but I've changed my mind on that, and the Bible changed my mind because of the use of white. White is used for transfiguration glory. White is used for resurrection glory. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, two men appeared clothed in white. White's always used for the, uh, for the saints, for God, for Christ, for the angels, or the saints. All right, now, uh, so, so that's on the white horse. And then number two, I might have said enough on that, but wars and rumors of wars, the, the uh, rider is given a great sword to take peace from the earth, and uh, there will not be any peace on earth fully, uh, until you accept Jesus as the Prince of Peace and the King of Peace. And it's the same with the whole issue in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, the city of peace, will never have peace uh, until they receive Christ as the Prince of Peace. That's the uh, picture that we have there. All right, number, number three, I may have commented enough on. Uh, famines, all right, two-thirds of the world is on starvation rations. Uh, the fourth horse, pale horse, a leprous horse, some of the translations say it includes troubles, pestilence, and plagues. And then uh, number five, the souls under the altar. I'd like you to turn to Revelation uh, chapter five on this one here. Now you'll notice here that um, it's uh, yeah. How do I put this? We we read we read in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter twenty-six and verse eight and nine the other day, or nine and ten. That when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And uh, this is this is principle of God uh, 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 of God's judgments. And it sort of starts in circles. It's like this: uh, say, and, and the devil counterfeits God. So when God came to Egypt, 
He starts out on the outer circle, and I forget exactly the order here, but it's like this. He starts on, say, the rivers, and turns the rivers to blood, plagues. And then he gets a little bit closer, and then he tucks the trees, and the grass, and the herbs, and so forth. Then he gets a little bit closer, and then he tucks the animals. And then later on, God touches something else. See, these are circles of God's judgment, and God's getting closer and closer. The last thing he touches is the man. And so in the plagues of Egypt, if you go through the order how God did it, judgment, he gets close. And finally, man doesn't listen. When your judgments are new in the earth, uh, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness, but let grace be shown, they will not learn. So the final thing he touches in the, in the, in the plagues in Egypt is the firstborn. And it was only when he touched man himself that Pharaoh said, okay, let him go, let him go. So God's judgments in the earth just keep going like this. Now, you'll find that Satan is the counterfeit of God, and he does that too. So uh, in Job chapter 1 and 2, what does Satan do? He first of all kills, I think, the, the animals, the camels, and whatever. Then he moves a little bit closer and touches the, uh, if I'm saying these animals wrong, uh, you get the kiss of it anyway, the oxen. And then he touched the sheep. Then he touched uh, uh, Job's family, get a little bit closer. But he didn't win, so he went to God, look, you've blessed all he has. But I'll tell you, if you let me touch Job, and touch his skin, and he'll curse you to his face. So God said, okay, go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> so the last thing that uh, Satan touched was Job. And Job didn't curse God. He cursed the day he was born, but he never cursed God. And he's up getting a double portion. So now, this is what's happening in the book of Revelation. We're going to see these judgments... In the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls of wrath, just that progression. So God starts dealing bit by bit. Finally, he touches man, because man just won't repent. That's the picture that we have, God's judgments, progression. And uh, things that are going on in the world today, plagues and uh, animals. I mean, it's amazing how many in Australia, how many people being killed by dogs. I, I wasn't in India when this happened, but I heard that a big hailstone about a hundred pound hit an elephant on the head and killed him. It's got him in a vulnerable spot, but you know, it's weird. In Africa, some of the things that happen. So God uses these things just getting closer. And then once we get to the, uh, the bowls of wrath, God finally touches man and says, okay, I'm going to touch you. And the sad part is instead of man repenting, uh, they curse God to his face. That's it. Okay, now. Let's go to Revelation 5. You've forgotten. You thought I'd forgotten. My hat was with 7. Oh, Revelation 6. So, Revelation 6. All right, now go down to verse, uh, verse 9. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus, for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe is given to each of them, and was said to them, They should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were were completed. 
Now, note the progression that we're having here. In the seals, uh, yeah, go in here, we're moving from things taking place on earth. Now, please like, the, like these circles here. So, gospel of the kingdom, wars, rumors, wars, famines, pestilences, uh, and so forth. We're moving from earth now to a scene in heaven. And now we are introduced to another article of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses. So you'll notice John's his mind saturated with this. Golden lampstand, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. Now Revelation chapter 6. And these verses we just read, verse 9 and 10, uh, he's, he's, he's going to the souls under the altar. All right, now, so very briefly on this. At the altar, the altar of brass, that was the place of sacrifice. And so when the animals were killed, their blood was poured out at the altar, and then some of it was taken and sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. But at the altar, it was the place of sacrifice. That's what we've got. And these souls here, these persons, have actually made the supreme sacrifice. They are martyrs. Now, I do need to say on this part here, uh, I don't think I've got the diagram. As I, as I understand it, there are two, uh, two groups of martyrs, particularly in the uh, book of Revelation, and they both find their place on an article of furniture. So these souls under the altar, martyrs, and as I understand, because we're up to number five now, and uh, there's been martyrdom right through church history, but they say today uh, that there's more martyrs uh, today in, in, in our history than in all of church history. So they find their place under this article of furniture because they've made the supreme sacrifice, uh, sacrifice their, their lives for the Lord and not denied His name. But when we come to Revelation chapter 15, and I've already mentioned this, but we repeat it again. So what you could do is put Revelation chapter 6 here for this group of martyrs, and then Revelation chapter 15 for the martyrs that overcome in the period, and I'm going to put here, by way of anticipation, three and a half years tribulation, not seven. And they overcome the beast, the mark of the beast, the number of his name, and they find their place on that article of furniture. Both are in the outer court. So it's like God has reserved in the symbolism, the symbolic truth, because truth is hidden in the symbol, and we only look at the, the symbol to discover the truth in the symbol. Uh, it's like God has reserved these two uh, articles of furniture, the brazen altar, the brazen labor, it's like as you discern those two articles of furniture for these two groups of martyrs. And, uh, you know, please take this kindly, but people say to me, and it's, I, I say, it's great in America to do this. They say, oh, well, the rapture's going to take place any time, and the church is not going to go through the tribulation. And as I said, please take this kindly. I say, I'd say it to my brothers and sisters in Indonesia. 3,000 of them beheaded, and their heads laid on stone altars. And when someone went into a children's camp and grabbed hold of a boy of 14 and said, Will you give up Jesus Christ? Serve Allah and Muhammad? said, No, I'm a soldier for Jesus Christ. Chopped up his arm with a machete. Gave him another opportunity, chopped up the other arm. said, No, I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. And took the machete, ripped open his belly, and then poured pepper on him and burned him and, and slaughtered a bunch of kids in the camp. So I say, Oh, tell them there's no tribulation. 
Go to China. Well, I'm told thousands have been killed. Go to, go to Russia, where millions of Christians were slaughtered. When I was in the Middle East a number of years ago, any Christian who was publicly baptized was shot. So it's great in the Western world say, oh no, the church is not going through tribulation. And just gets out by a little rapture. How many hear what I'm saying here? It's the other side, other side of the picture here. So, yeah, we just need to just be careful on, on some of those things. Not you, but everybody else. Okay. I just think of I was in the Western world for a moment there. All right, so souls under the altar. And you notice that their cry was saying, Lord, avenge our blood. And you see, from Abel, who was the first martyr and the first mention of blood in the Bible, his blood is crying to God from the ground because the blood speaks of life. Abel was the first martyr. And I believe that uh, uh, the martyrs, right from Abel, right down to the last, uh, uh, the martyrs that are going on today, find their place under that article. Now, the Lord gave them white robes, not black ones. Isn't it crazy why ministers wear black all the time? <laughs> you know, black ties, black cloth, black robes. It's the color of death. Isn't this a nice tie? <laughs> But why do we wear black? In the garments of the high priest, the only color not there was black. <laughs> so the priest didn't wear black in those days. So why do we wear it? Not us. <laughs> and we have black mass. Black mass. What do you call it? Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that beautiful point. Okay. Now, the, the cry to them is okay. Just rest. Take these white robes and rest. Because there's still some other people to be slain like you were. And it's anticipatory of the martyrs that are going to be slain in this tribulation period, which we'll talk about later on. So that's the picture that we have there. All right, now let's uh, finish on this part here before we take a break. We go now to uh, seal number six. Now, you'll notice what we've done. We've moved from things on earth, okay? Move from things on earth. The first four seals. We've gone to a scene in heaven. Souls under the altar. Uh, so one to four, seals one to four are scenes on earth. Uh, seal number five is a heavenly scene. So those who die on earth or mild on earth, uh, who are martyrs, particularly go to that article furniture. And now we come back to the atmospheric heaven. You've got to sort of consider the location. So the atmospheric heaven here, the heaven above us. And so now we see signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Now, you'll notice that Jesus, Jesus said in Luke's rendition of this that there would be signs, plural, not just a sign. And uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation, what we find, signs in the sun, moon, stars, we find signs under the uh, sixth seal, sun, moon, stars. We find signs under the fourth trumpet, sun, moon, stars. And we find a sign in the sun under the fourth ball. Now, some, I'm saying that because some people say, well, uh, the seven seals, seven churches, seven trumpets, seven bowls, all one of the same thing, just looking at it from different angles. No. Uh, I'll sort of say where I would follow from on that. So signs, plural. So there's different signs. Now, the only, only 
place in the book of Revelation where, it's, where the moon becomes as blood is under this sixth seal. Okay? Sixth seal. Now, I'm trying to wrap up here. When, when, when it comes to the sun, moon, and stars, uh, anytime God touches the sun, moon, and stars, it has a twofold aspect. He touches the sun, moon, and stars, and it's always a sign to the believer of coming deliverance. I'll make the statement first. But it's a sign to the unbeliever of coming judgment. So let me explain. When Joshua needed a little bit more time to win the battle, what did he do? He spoke to the sun. Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. So God touched the sun and the moon in behalf of his people. It was judgment to the enemy, but victory to Israel, the church of the wilderness. Let's go on a little bit. When Hezekiah wanted a little extension of time, and God gave him 15 more years, he gave him a sign in the sun. And the sun turned back, was it back? Uh, yeah, 15 degrees, whatever, or 10 degrees. And it was touched. When Jesus died on the cross, the sun was darkened at midday. So whenever God touches the sun, moon, and stars, it's always in behalf of God's people for victory or a deliverance or else judgment to the world. Now Jesus said, when you see these signs in the sun, moon, and stars, lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh. I believe, this is where I believe, and then we'll close part on this part. I believe that seal one, two, three, four, five are open. I believe the next seal to be on the list to be open is the sixth seal, sun and moon. And when you see the moon, see, Russia said she would paint the moon as red. God said, no, you won't. I'll be doing it myself. <laughs> and did you know that in Isaiah chapter, I think it's Isaiah chapter 25, it says the sun would be, uh, the sun would be ashamed and the moon would, no, the sun would be confound, the moon would be ashamed. And in Strongs and Corns, where it says the moon would be ashamed, it's, it actually means in the Hebrew, the moon would be explored and dug into and it would be blush and would blush and become red. Interesting how much attention has been given to the moon in the last uh, couple of decades. But when it turns red, it's a sign to the church because blood for the church is the picture of redemption. So Jesus said, when you see these things take place, your redemption is drawing nigh. So I personally believe that's the next seal on the list and um, I want to be ready for that. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.